This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Um, hey, you guys. What's going on, everybody? It's Mara. I just wanted to let you know before you listen to this episode that there was a minor freak out. And I thought I lost my microphone and then I had to use my old microphone instead of my good, nicey new microphone. And you'll be able to tell. Be nice. There's nothing you can literally say that is meaner than the things I've already said to myself. And I've forgiven myself. So you guys can go ahead and forgive me too. enjoy the show. It's amazing. Here we go. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tez. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. All right, you guys, here is an episode all about Taz. It's about her and her twin getting into some problems and why two is sometimes not better than one. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our players this week were Louise Ferris, our victim, and Renwick's mother-in-law. Shamika Ferris, our victim, Louise's daughter, and Renwick's sister-in-law. William Ferris Jr., our victim, Louise's son, and Renwick's brother-in-law. Renwick Gibbs, our accomplice and Yvette's boyfriend. Doris Gay, our accomplice and Yvette's twin sister. And Yvette Gay, our murderess. Yvette Gay and her twin, Doris Gay, were born on February 7th, 1963 in Washington, North Carolina, to her parents, Randy and Ella Gay. Now, when they were born, Ella, their mom, her and dad didn't have the best relationship. Now, dad, he said that he could not work. 
Let me tell you why. Because he got asthma. He got a heart condition. So he said he could not work. And Ella, she was a house cleaning lady. She was working, constantly trying to bring in as much income as possible. Ella, their mom, was also diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. So she was trying to go to the doctor, make sure that she had medicine, make sure that she had enough money to have food on the table for her twin daughters as well as her man because he not working. And life for her was pretty crazy. And then she ends up having four other children. And at this point, Ella is constantly working. Dad is not doing nothing. And there are times where mom had to go into the hospital for a while and the twins would have to take over the duties of the house because dad wasn't going to take responsibility. And dad was constantly, what is the word, lacking emotion. He didn't really play with the kids. Even the twins, when they were babies, didn't really play with them, didn't really let them go outside and have a social life. Grandma lived right down the street, but was like, no, nah, we don't need nobody to come over here. So their interactions with everyday people was almost not happening because mom was going out and they were basically at home all the time. And while mom is working being a maid and a house cleaner everywhere else, Yvette and Doris, they're being the maids and the house cleaners at home. It's definitely like oldest daughter syndrome. But they weren't allowed to have friends. Their strict rules was they had to go to school and they came straight home and got ready to make sure that the kids were together. They didn't get a chance to interact with the kids in the neighborhood. They didn't get a chance to go out to the movies on a Friday night. None of that. Yvette and Doris, they were two peas in a pod. They really identified together. They were side by side and everything that they did. And Yvette was still a little bit more social. Like she had a little bit more of a personality than Doris, but either way, they didn't talk to many people in school. They just kind of had glances, definitely their own secret language. Like, you know, that twins have. I thought it was funny that the, the reasoning that they said Yvette was the dominant twin was because like she was more outgoing or whatever. I would say probably between me and Yana, I would definitely describe myself as the dominant twin. I've been shy my whole life. So it'd be like, Kiana, go ask them this Kiana go do that you know Kiana go ask them this or go go do that and so she would be like the mouthpiece for us so I thought that was like Kiana was definitely more outgoing I'd say if you say between us but I, I would still put me as the because I'm still controlling what the actions were you know what I mean did y'all have a secret language I don't necessarily define it as a secret language all my sisters we all sucked our fingers and so we would just talk to each other without taking our fingers out of our mouth so we just went mm-hmm mm-hmm <laughs> Y'all just knew what each other were saying. Yeah. Now, with mom working and now supporting sick children and a grown baby man, times were getting hard. And so she decided that she was going to apply for government assistance. She was going to apply for welfare. Even to this day, it's hard to get some food stamps when you need it. You know what I'm oh. saying? Good help is hard to find. Good help is hard to find. But back in the day, this is like the 70s, right? And some people were still like, oh, I don't want to have to say that I need food stamps. Da, 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 da. I'm kind of ashamed that I need food stamps. And I'm here in the year 2024. Like, please, Lord, someone give me some food stamps. Because you know what? It's a prideful thing because society has made it seem like nobody's on welfare except for lazy black people who don't want to get up off their ass. But actually, white folks make up the majority of people on welfare. And anybody who has worked has paid into welfare. So I see it as getting what you owe. Period. 
But, I don't see it as a handout. I've been paying for this as long as I've been working. <laughs> if I need a little help, it's no shame in the game. Like, life is expensive. It's mine. It's my money and I need it now. <laughs> no, but for real, mom sits down. She's filling out the forms. And you have to be very careful about what you say. Because you can put your income down. And even though you have six mouths to feed, they'll be like, oh no, you make too much money. And it's like, uh, how? No, it don't make how do I make too much money? How? When rent is this price, I have to make three times the amount of rent to do this. I have to make sure that car is paid for. I got to have insurance. And now you're telling me I make too much money. Too much money? So I'm just going to eat it? air. Where is so it? So I'm just going to eat air. The whole system is flawed. So bad. You know how many people, like, really need help and are, like, really trying and probably even still make $25 an hour? People probably be like, oh, that's good, $25. You got a good job. And still can't afford, like, child care them first four years when your baby can't go to free school yet? (laughs) Them the toughest decisions. If you ain't got a family to make, like, it's expensive. Yeah. And then the better the school, the more expensive it is. You don't want to leave your... Baby has some raggedy-ass place, but what can you afford? And Caps was just as stingy as food stamps. You know, you got to be under this limit. Be careful because you're about to make too much. So I can't be too successful. Right, because if I make too much money, I won't get what I need. And it doesn't balance out. It doesn't. It doesn't balance out. So Ella, mom, she was filling out her welfare application, and she was trying to be so careful. And she put a little fib in the application, just a little fib. She said... (laughs) We got hurt nobody. That she, well, she said that she wasn't working. So I guess she claimed like no income. Because mm-hmm. you know it's on the pay scale. Next thing you know, they are knocking at her door, arresting her in front of all of her kids and her lazy husband for welfare fraud. They take her to jail. They put her in front of a judge. And I'm sure at some point they put out her real financial documents and they still said, for this, you will go to prison for five Years. Five years. Who cares if you're the only one making money to put food in your family's mouth? They'll figure it out, you lazy bum. Come on. Five years. I've got six and a half kids. (laughs) How am I going to feed these people? Like, the government, they're the criminals. Do you know? They are the criminals. My granny got sick and she couldn't work. And I think she had paid off her house. I guess they decided she didn't have any real bills. She applied for food stamps, and they gave her $16 a month. What am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? I can't even buy you rotisserie chicken and some sides. I can't even buy ingredients for a full meal, for real. It's all a ploy to kill us, because now we can't buy nutritious food. Now we have to Everybody buy. Everybody start your own garden. I'm telling you, it's time to start growing our own food. Because the government does not care about you. Sorry to get sidetracked. We haven't even gotten to what we're about. We haven't even gotten to it. But all the criminal is in the government thus far. Like, what? The food they're feeding us is fake anyways. It's not nutritious. That's why we got gut problems. That's why they're trying to kill us. They're trying to kill us, okay? All right. So they sent her away for five years for trying to feed her six and a half children. And... Did dad get off the couch? Absolutely not. He just wanted to make sure that Yvette and Dora were making sure that them children were in line. And money did need to come in the house. So guess what? Yvette, Doris, time for y'all to get a job. They got a job. Okay, so like fishing is very popular in this area, allegedly. And so they were basically had a job at like a 
plant where they bring the crab and they get to like scuff out all the crab meat so that y'all can have crab meat in a can instead of learning a skill and going to fish for your own food. This episode will be about how the government is trying to kill us. <laughs> I'm telling you, because I'm sure it's going to be a recurrent thing. <laughs> it's already a recurrent thing. Listen, so they were working at like a food plant. They're doing this. They're 16 years old at this time. I'm sure they're burnt out. They don't have any friends. They're not able to go out because they have to go home, school, work, home, school, work, over and over and over again. That was it. So it seemed like from everybody that could observe the girls, that knew the girls, they said that, you know, they were quiet. They only talked to each other. They would even walk like left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. They turned the head at the same time, same random gaze. They didn't talk to anybody but each other. And they were just weird. They were just a little, you know, they they together and we don't really talk to them because they ain't allowed to have friends for real. It's interesting that you were talking about you and your twin because it said Yvette and Doris had learning disabilities, but they said that Doris was probably the most advanced in her learning than Yvette. So maybe she was the one calling the shots and making Yvette be the mouthpiece. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little tidbit. So both of the girls graduated. They graduated from Washington High School in 1981. 1982, their mom gets out of prison. She is paroled two years early. So she served only three years of her five-year sentence. And she finally gets home. And when she gets home, she wants to see, of course, her man. She wants to see her children. She wants to see her girls. And Yvette and Doris are kind of like, hey. I mean, what's up? They don't have much to say to their mom. Okay, well, good to see you, I guess. They don't really have anything to say for her. The respect that they probably had for her at one point is gone. When mom is trying to reacclimate herself into the house, they're basically like ignoring her all together. Or they're being just straight up rude. Your food nasty. Is that how you gonna go out looking today? Your hair look great. Not. And when she's upset about this and she's talking to her husband, she's like, what happened to these girls? They're out of line. He was like, I don't know what you're talking about. The girls are fine. They're making money. They've been here for three years. You ain't. Which, sir, everybody's here taking care of your broke behind but Okay. <sighs> sir. 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 How about you grow the fuck up? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because you got asthma and a heart condition. You ain't got to do no physical labor job. I know plenty of people with asthma that work. I know niggas with asthma that work in a factory. <laughs> I know people with a heart condition that work. Like, and you are so upset about her. Clearly, you weren't able to apply for disability because you're probably faking. It's okay. We all know he could have worked. Mom at this point, like, she just feels like a stranger in her own home ever since returning from prison. And she picks up a lot of hours and she basically is never at the house. She's constantly working. The twins lived at home this entire time. And now the twins are about 23 years old. They never moved out. There's working together at the craft factory. And then Yvette finds that there's this better paying job at natural spinning. And it's basically a textile mill. It makes yarn, it makes fabric or whatever. It's paying better. It's got benefits. Like this is a nice little step up. Dora, she's still working at the craft factory. Now, this is the first time that they're really going to be split up, but this is a big step that Yvette needs to take because better money, better pay. We, We love to see it. One day, she is walking out of the factory, and there's a man out there while she's leaving the factory premises, and his name is Renwick Gibbs. I think he was abusive because he mad his mama named him Renwick. I bet he was abusive because his mama named him Renwick, and he was cockeyed. Mm-hmm. So it all makes sense. He was just mad. I got a lot to be mad about. 
was about 1984, 1985, and Yvette, she'd been going to this job at the yarn factory while doors staying over with the crabs, and she's like, you know, girl, I'm going to get us a little insurance. I'm going to get a little paper up. Now, I don't know why they didn't both leave, but this was the plan. I don't know. But I, right, because you can't get insurance for you and your twin. I mean, unless they frauding, but... I don't think they were frauding. Me neither. So I'm just like, why don't y'all both go? Y'all could both use the pay bump. So one day, Yvette's walking outside of her job at the yarn factory, and she sees Mr. Renwick Gibbs. He's nobody's cute, okay? Not at all. The man's eyes looking left and straight at the same time. He got these dusty-ass braids in his hair. I don't be talking about nobody lazy eye because I got a lazy eye, but <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> but you got real good my control goodness. of yours, friend. Because I be feeling it and I blink. I wonder. I really wonder what that feels like. So you can feel it start to shift. I just be... I'm or you not, just, just see your vision changing tired. or your vision don't change. No, my vision doesn't really change. It's just like I feel myself getting tired. Like I feel like all well, the nerves mm. in my eye are just like, we're sleepy. Mm. I used to make fun of Mariah in high school, y'all. I used to sit b- behind Mariah and tell her to look at me without turning her head. <laughs> <laughs> I went down. I was down in Savannah in January with Bree, and I was... At her job, and I was working on some Sisters Who Kill stuff, and then she said something, and I looked up at her. She said, I'm going to need you to blink. I'm still not that mature. I was like, we've been <laughs> friends for well over 10 years. I need you to see. <laughs> It's okay. You're a good sport. <laughs> Rimward Gibbs was born on May 7th, 1964. He's only one year older than Yvette, and he was a hustler, okay? <laughs> so he sold candy and snacks to little kids in the neighborhood. It's giving. This is his only source of income. It's giving while your wife was at work at the yarn factory, you took her car and rode around the neighborhood hollering at your friends and always had some candy in your pocket to give to the kid, you know, just to make it worth the little song song. These the men that they have in North Carolina? Because it's it's the girl's daddy, and now they running into I mean, one. and you know they say girls are attracted to their father. That's what I kept thinking this whole episode. Like, you really went and fucked around with your daddy. Cause yeah, what? that's pretty much what it is. And you know what? She found one good trait in this nigga, right? His wife was like, at least he out here hustling. Exactly. Like, I don't want that no man that ain't going out. At exactly. least he come home with something. And Yvette was like, you know. My daddy was me, but that nigga ain't never work. At least this man out here trying to make a way, you know? That was her. He better. That was it right there. Just got to hold him down. You know? The local police, they say that Renwick, he occasionally got in trouble with the law, but minor offenses, nothing serious. He ain't hurt nobody. And he was married to Ann Ferris Gibbs. Now, word on the street was that they had a tumultuous marriage. They never got along, didn't see eye to eye. Because he uh, couldn't. <sighs> She said it, not me, y'all. <laughs> I have a lazy eye. I can see it. <laughs> you know, he used to cuss these bitches out. <laughs> he used to hit on them. And he used to fuck around with anybody who paid him some attention. Like, what is faithful? He don't know the meaning of. When Renwick meets Yvette, he is married to Anne already. And it's not like it's a secret and Yvette didn't know. The nigga had on his ring. And not only was he married, but they were freshly married. Like, Mm -hmm. a month in. And? Like, two weeks in. And what else? And he had a baby with her already. And what else? And the girl was damn pregnant. 
she was pregnant with his second baby. But he don't care. Because that's the type of ain't shit niggas that they got around these parts, okay? Now, and she came from a well-respected family. Her dad was like a leader in the community. I guess everybody knew his name. He was the pops, you know? His name was William Earl Ferris Sr., and he was a U.S. Army vet. He served in Vietnam. And William married Louise Riley Ferris, who is Anne's mom. Don't know exactly what year they got married. But they went on to have three kids, Anne-Marie Gibbs, their oldest. Next, in 1973, they had Shamika Loretta Ferris. Lastly, in 1976, they had William Earl Ferris Jr., and is the wife that Yvette is working with at the yarn factory, right? Come this nice family has somehow got roped up to this nigga Renwick. He must be charming as hell. Okay. <laughs> like, great conversation. He gotta be. You know what? I was thinking about putting together a compilation of some of my favorite pickup lines, and he must have them. Because like, I don't like the whole, like, make sure you smile. Like, one time a dude walked up to me and was like, why are you so beautiful? I just want to buy you a meal. And I was like, excuse That's it. me? Yes. Hello. That'll, thank you. Feed me. I love to be fed. That's a pickup line. <laughs> Come over, girl. I got some candy. <laughs> I don't know why Anne was putting up with this shit from this man. I don't know why she even got married to this man or why she let him put another baby in her. But she did, because love is love, and it's stronger than anything, ain't it? But her loyalty means nothing to Renwick. He's chatting more and more with Yvette. He's trying to spend more time with her. And she like it. You know, she spent her whole life living as one with her twin. And so they kind of came off a little weird. I'm sure, like, you know how, like, sometimes the poor kids, like, they get made fun of in school because... They don't necessarily have the best clothes or they don't smell the best because, you know, the parents probably can't really, they're, they're kind of houseless, you know, and people, right. kids don't take that into account and they can just be kind of cruel. Mind you, these girls were working during high school, working at a crab factory. I'm sure you stunk. Have you met people who work at Burger King after a shift? They smell like straight onions. My, um, Burger King was my first job, um... Yeah. Burger King was Miss Sabrina's first job, and I was in her office one day, and <laughs> this parent came in to speak to her, and she said, you work at Burger King, don't you? <laughs> like, she just recognized herself. <laughs> oh, no. She was like, mm-hmm, I used to work there, too. Like, I know that smell. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Lord. So, I'm sure, like, the crab didn't smell great on them. Like, friends are hard to come by. This attention that she's getting from Renwick is probably feeling special and different and new and something that she wants to explore. That doesn't mean she's going to ditch Doris, right? Like, that's her other half. So, but right. Renwick doesn't care. He was like, I'm fine being around the both of y'all. And they kind of created this weird triangular-like relationship, right? Like, I think that the uh, Evil Twin show kind of said it best you know people always look for a partner that's their best friend and their lover and it's like he divided these amongst the girls so Doris was like his best friend and Yvette was like his lover and between the two of him he had everything oh that's how you do me and my twin Marah wow between the two of that us is, that is how I do you and your twin 
Are not you that, in this situation, are you my lover? <laughs> Listen, I was going to say, not that I'm your lover, but... It's like, wait, all <laughs> <laughs> But, like, really, Mariah has two completely different relationships with me and my sister. Like, my sister fulfills her whole geeky, theater, nerdy vibe, and I fulfill the whole, like, sporty and chill and social vibe. Like, we can get on that tip, but, like... Together, <laughs> it's the completion for Mariah. Right. And the thing is, like, if I'm hanging out with both of y'all at the same time, I can definitely have two complete conversations with the both of y'all that neither one of y'all know about. Yeah. Makes you think, don't it? Yeah. This worked for them. There was no, like, jealousy between them. Everybody knew their role and they played it well. They gone out for about a month. And at this point, Yvette's in love. It's her man, her man, her man. Also, a month into a relationship, Rimwick starts showing his true colors. Now she's starting to see the manipulative side of him, the abusive side of him. He's both physically and mentally abusive. He's like a narcissist. Like, you know, he'll he'll pull that, you know, if you leave me, I'll kill myself bullshit. Um, he's no good, like, at all. <laughs> he is and, so stuck on his wife. Right, and it's still it's still in love with his wife. Like, you got two girls who are over here giving you this weird twin fantasy while still having a wife and two kids over someplace else. It seems like no matter what Yvette would say, he's always angry. Everything sets him off. And drops the baby. Now, she wasn't trying to get it. Nan was very much aware of what was going on with Renwick and these twins. But, like, one... You know, her family is known. She ain't really trying to embarrass them by getting into no whole beef. Two, she was pregnant. And three, like, I'm sure she was probably happy for the breaks that she had with the twins. Like, okay, Renwick, go ahead and leave. Okay. You know? That has to be some type of don't really give a fuck about that man when you work with the woman that he's cheating on you with. And you just like. with her. You know what? You know what? Who the fuck did I marry? Heart 53. (laughs) Have you watched Who the Fuck Did I Marry? Mm -mm. Never heard of it. Oh, girl. It's been all in the discussion group, and I am halfway through. You have to put it on like a podcast, but it is drama. It's that good, juicy tea that ain't got nothing to do with you that you like. I love that. Anne has her baby, but nothing changes. Yvette, however, I guess she wants to level the playing field. Like, maybe... If it's his kids that keeping him home, maybe if I have a kid, I can keep him home, you know, over here. I can give you the family you're looking for. So she gets pregnant, and she has his daughter. And at this point, they've only been together like a year. Her and her baby, they need some place to stay, because remember, the twins have never moved out of their parents' house. So Renwick has another trailer that he owns that's just down the street from the house that he and Anne have together. And he was like, you know, of course I can take care of my family, Yvette, Doris, and baby. Y'all go on ahead and move into the trailer. I take care of y'all. And Yvette's like, cool, that'll work. We've got our own place. So Yvette, she gets pregnant again. And, like, you know, two babies are really time-consuming, especially when you got, like, a two-under-two situation. <laughs> At this point, Anne, with her own two kids, is pretty much over it. You know good. You're not helpful. You sitting here really trying to afford two separate families? I can't. She was like, you're going to have to choose. 
I'm going to need for you to, if you want this marriage and this family that you started first, then you need to show us. And I want them hoes and their babies about our property down the street. Like, the fuck is that about? And Ramwick's like, all right, I guess so. He's like, all right, Yvette, Doris, kids, y'all got to bounce. Wife don't want you in our secondary spot, you know, in the day that is my wife. So well, where are we supposed to go? Like, we have nothing. <laughs> and he was like, come on, man, I'm a provider. You think I was just going to leave y'all high and dry like that? <laughs> I got a surprise. That nigga take them And down. surprise he did. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, this is only a surprise that Mara would want and nobody else. Listen. Go tell the people. Tell the people. Girl, that's exactly what I thought. Takes him on down the street and he pulls up to this little woodsy lot. And he's like, welcome home, ladies. Y'all, my nigga pulls up to a school bus and says, I done decked the place out for y'all. Y'all, this bus, I guess he put whatever minimal things they needed inside. There was no water. There was no stove, no microwave, no appliances of any kind. And Yvette, Doris, and their two children was supposed to live there together in a school bus. Like, and I truly, Mariah would love if somebody bought her a school bus that was ready for her to live in. But it has to be ready. There we go. <laughs> it has to be ready. It also is not going to be a school bus for you plus one plus two babies. Right. Like, if you bought me one right now that was just gutted and I had to do everything else, I'd be so happy. It'd be (laughs) me and Rex hitting the road. Like, I I can pick up and make the appliances, but if I have me, Rex, a baby on my hip, two and a baby on the other one, absolutely not. (sighs) Who's got time to do that? Who? But I guess getting the bare minimum from niggas is what they're used to. Right. Because what did their daddy ever do for them? He didn't even watch them as children. And he was in and the so house. so you think that that's what men are... Yeah, I said, is it that? Is it that what you just think that that's what men are supposed to do? Like, yeah. I was raised by a single mom. It was just me and her in the house. And I still knew what men were supposed to do. I don't I don't get it. And, you know, I feel like a single mom is different because I feel like the single moms are the ones who was like, I ain't taking that shit, neither should you. That's why they single moms, because they weren't putting up with the shit. The moms that stay with the shitty dads raise the daughters that grow up with low self-esteem and take the bare minimum. Mm, there we go. Inspirational podcast snaps all around. <laughs> mm, mm. Just leave your ain't shit husband and set a good example for your daughter. I'm telling you, John Mayer said it best, honestly. Now, he told him, work with me, babies. Work with me, ladies. Work with me, children. I can make it happen. And he did. He finally got the trailer generator. He put up a couple clothes lines outside so they could dry the baby's clothes. Instead of a toilet inside, he, I guess, dug a ditch, gave them an outhouse. So it's not all bad, right? If you say so. Right. Meanwhile, by 1990, Anne had been like, listen, Grimwick, we have been going about this for years now. You are angry all the time. I don't understand how this man could be angry. He's abusing Anne, like, because Anne wants to go be with her family and she doesn't like the way that he moves and Anne tries to put down her authority, like, hey, please don't cheat on me. And Renwick's not having that. And instead, he responds by being abusive. I don't understand how a man that's getting pussy everywhere he wants can be so angry. <laughs> Why are you so mad? 
Why? Why? <laughs> Answer me that. And so finally, Anna's like, you know what? I can't do this. I'm about to go live with my parents. And she leaves him. When she gets to her parents, at first, it just seems like her parents are relieved. Like, finally, Anne is doing what she needs to do to get out of this horrible relationship that she's in. And they didn't really like Rick. Like, like, they're from a well-to-do family. They've come from what you, a typical American dad was in the war type of family. And Renwick was not that. And he was not classy, not classe, not classe at all. So one day the family is away, Anne's family, they're all away, they're in Virginia. And all of a sudden their house burns down. They say that it was an accident. It literally destroyed everything that they owned. But, you know, when you're smart, you do what you're supposed to do. You have your insurance in, pl- in place. You make sure your money is always straight for when the worst possible thing can happen. And the family moves into a new home. Anne is staying at her house for a while, but she's also spending, she's trying to get life together on her own. She's also ducking and dodging Renwick because he is angry. Let me tell you, he is mad. How dare you decide that you're going to leave me when I got two other women and two other kids that I'm also taking care of at the same time? How dare you think that you can be up from underneath what I provide? My bare minimum should be enough for you. And so Anne's not only staying with her parents sometimes, but sometimes they don't know where she is. Sometimes she dips out and she decides to stay at a shelter because she's hiding from him. When she leaves, Renwick is like, I don't understand how she could do this to me. He's going home to Yvette and Doris like, I can't believe that she would leave me. Who wants to leave me? And they're like, I know, baby. I know. Who would want to leave you? Not us. We wouldn't. Not at all. This is love. This is love. He's like, nah, man. Nah, man. And, and she thinks she could walk away from this. She thinks she can walk away from all this and I ain't going to be upset. She thinks she can leave me. I don't think so. I need to make sure that she know that this is home. I'm daddy around here, but it's okay. She'll come back. She'll see. And he does everything he can to try and see. Pulls up at her job. And when she comes out, he's like, baby, now you know I want you back. I don't know why you're playing. And she's like, Renwick, you ain't even looking at me straight. And you clearly can't hear me straight neither. So why don't you just leave? He starts getting like a little upset starts raising his voice. Her manager has to come out. And is anything problem here? I'm just trying to talk to my wife. No, you making a disruption on this business property. No, you need to come with me, woman. And she's like, no, I don't. And I'm not. We're not together. We're getting a divorce. I don't want you. Renwick is pissed because now, not only does he feel disrespected, but he embarrassed. And see, embarrassed folks, they'll be, they're the ones. They're the ones. Because how you going to have your job call the police on me? So he goes back to the um, school home, to the camper. He's laid up with Doris and Yvette. And he's like, I got to make sure that Anne knows that she can't get away from me. She going to have to pay. And they're like, okay, what you want us to do? What needs to be done? If Anne can't be with me, she can't be with nobody else. And I know where she be at. She be at her parents' house. And we're going to make sure that we set it up all nice and neat. We're going to make sure that... It can't be traced back to us. All right, Yvette, Doris, get some scissors. Get the magazines over there in the corner and start cutting up some words, okay? We're going make to make it look like a note from a criminal, right? Make it say, quote, I told you about slapping my mother. Who is that? We don't know the situation. We're making it up, baby. 
it's making sure this don't get traced back to us. It's got to be random, okay? And it's going to make sure that everybody is off of our trail, make sure that everybody knows what's going on. So then he's like, listen, and guess at some point Yvette was like, you know, is this something that we really want to do? Like, I love you, but I want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And he's like, listen, this is going to be great for us because with her out of the picture, it's just me and you, baby. We ain't even got to worry about her no more. If she's gone, we don't have to worry about her no more because if she's here, I keep thinking about her. You hear what I'm saying? So if you want me to only think about you, then you got to help me get rid of her. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Great. Now let's get it popping. Doris, make sure you go to the store and buy some bullets, okay? Because we may make sure everything's right. So it's May 29th, 1990. Renwick and Anne have been separated for about a month at this point. Renwick is still mad about it. He has not calmed down. He has not rationalized or accepted the situation. He's still hung up about it. Renwick pulls up to the bus, the house, and he's got Anne's brother's dog with him. Now, he just kidnaps this nigga's dog. I don't know what the purpose of it was, but he starts beating the dog, like boxing the dog with his bare hands. And I don't know if he was releasing his frustration or, like, he wanted to return the dog all injured and be like, this is what happens when you fuck with me. I don't know. But eventually, that dog made some contact, and he bit that nigga. And that's what the fuck he got. Renwick kind of backed off because he got bit. He was like, ah, fuck that dog. He grabs his shotgun, and he starts shooting at the dog, and the dog just running off. He's shooting at the dog. Renwick trying to chase him, but, of course, the dog is faster, loses the dog in the wood. The dog is never to be seen again. And I just still don't get why the dog is in it. Girl, because what did he do to you? So that night around 11.30 p.m., Anne, who's been staying at a battered women's shelter, drove to her parents' car. You see, she would sometimes borrow her parents' car to help her get around, run errands. You know, she got kids or whatever, right? She's out late this night to take her parents' the car back. Her dad then drops her off at work, and then he heads back home to take a short nap before he has to get up for work, which is around 3.30, 3.45. Technically, now that we're in the early mornings of the day, it's May 30th of 1990. Late night, early morning, Renwick and Yvette, they get dressed in all black. They put on a pushiesty mask. They grab a couple of tube socks. They in all black. They decked out. And it's like, yeah, we about to get them. Doris stayed on the bus with Yvette's kids, you know. There's infants here that need to be cared for. Renwick was like, all right, so what I do know is that Ann's dad going to leave for work around 4, 4.30. So while it's still dark outside and they in the all black, that's when we're going to catch him. They pull up around this time, and as they're driving up, they see Mr. Ferris get in his car, leave for work. Now Renwick tries to follow him, thinking he's just going to kill him in the car. He made a couple of turns too fast. He couldn't catch him. So Renwick's like, fuck it. I'm going to just kill the bitch. And he says this in reference to Anne. That's a quote, y'all. They live in the country areas of North Carolina, so they've got like a, a smooth hike, a mild walk up to the house. Before they get in the house, Renwick goes and cuts the landline phone wires that are outside. Renwick turns to Yvette. He's like, you ready? And she's like, mm-hmm. He's like, I said, you ready? She's like, I'm, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. They go to the door, one of the doors that's got like a glass window pane. They break one of the panes and they get inside the house. As soon as they enter the house, it's screaming. As they work their way through the house, they find Louise, Anne's mom, Shamika, Anne's sister, 
and William Ferris Jr. and his brother. And they go and ask him, where's Ann? Where's Ann? They're like, no, I don't know. She's not here. She's not here. Oh, help, help, help. It's also unclear where the kids are because Ann is at work. So I don't know where her kids are if they're not at the family home. Maybe they got some type of daycare system at the better women's shelter. Not sure. I don't know. He starts to realize Anne really isn't here. So he and Yvette force the three of them to the back bedroom. And once he gets there, he tells Junior, hey, go find some rope for me to tie you up with. And don't try no funny business. At this point, Louise is begging and pleading, Rip, Rip, baby, you don't have to do this. You know, we'll always have a place for you in our heart. You are the father of our grandbabies. Like, but please, it doesn't have to be this way. Like, you know, Anna's moved on, but there's still love. Like, we can all figure this out. Please, please, don't shoot us. Don't kill us. Please, 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 Rimwick. It's us. Please, you have to stop. Shamika, devastated, in tears, can't catch a grip. This whole time, Yvette just standing there with the gun, like, whatever you say, boss. So William Jr. comes back with the rope, and Rimwick forces him to tie up his mom and sister. And I guess Jr. was feeling a little shaky or whatever, but he wasn't moving fast enough. So Rimwick is like, fuck this shit. Shamika, you tie everybody Of course he's shaky. He's like 13. So, yeah, I think he And what, Shamika, like 16, 17? Yeah. Like... He can't take it. And you're sitting here in this hostile situation with your mom and everybody is helpless. What do you do? <laughs> what can you do? He was like, come on, Shamika, you do it. So Shamika ends up tying up her mom and Renwick ties up William Jr. And Yvette is just sitting there pointing the gun at everybody, making sure don't nobody try shit. After everybody's all tied up, Renwick walks to the front of the house, make sure nobody's pulling up, scene's still clear, right? While he's in the front of the house, he purposefully drops the note that he and the twins made before coming to the house. You know, the the newspaper letters on the brown paper bag. Don't be slapping my mama or whatever the fuck. So this is like, he's trying to throw the police off his trail, I guess. This is him leaving a clue, a false clue, right? So goes back in the house, and he's like, all right, Yvette, shoot them all in the head. And Yvette's like, ah, I can't do that. So Rimmel's like, fuck it, I'll do it then. So he shoots Louise, William, and Shamika all execution style while Yvette watched, which is crazy. Because no matter what order you did it in, like, this is our last thoughts of life. I probably would have wanted to be the first one shot so I wouldn't have to watch the other two die. To see your fate coming like that, my dad, he used to, the five of us would get in trouble. And when you used to whoop us, he would make us get in a line. And to see niggas get beat one by one <laughs> and then just know you stepping up for your turn in line, that was, like, crazy for a whooping. So to be as a gunshot, to, like, sit there knowing you coming up next, crazy. Right. People that had siblings, they said, you know, I used to just hope that my mom would get tired by the time it was my turn for the whooping. And I'm an only child, so I just got whooped till she got tired. <laughs> I, too, to got whooped till my mom got tired. My mom whooped me in syllables. Did I tell you have to like spit it out? Spit it out. <laughs> Same. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, talk about somebody that had breath work. Real breath work. <laughs> but no, I hated hearing my siblings get hit. Like, I I can just remember sitting on the stairs and listening and be like, I hope it's over. I hope it's over. Like, I hated it. Even if I knew they deserved it. After killing Louise, 
William and Shamika. Remick then turns the gun onto Yvette and tells Yvette he's going to kill her and her family and everybody he was ever involved with, and then he was going to kill himself. But here comes this more manipulation, feel sorry for me shit. He ain't do that. But he and Yvette, they drive back to the bus, they wash up, and they put their clothes in a paper bag. Earlier that morning, he takes Yvette's car to drive Doris to work, and then he takes the paper bags with the clothes inside of it and gets rid of it. Not sure what he did with them. Then he goes back home, sleeps because he's had a long night, and leaves again in search of Anne. You know, they say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and HelloFresh agrees. In fact, they're giving all subscribers free breakfast for life. That means you'll enjoy a totally free breakfast item with every single HelloFresh delivery. And you already know I love HelloFresh. Whether you're trying to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price that you'll like delivered right to your door. I just finished making Swiss caramelized onion burgers with fries and it was amazing it had everything that I needed in the bag ready to go with the ingredients so I had a nice easy fast dinner that was delicious and here is the tea Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh. That's right. So now with a wider array of meals to choose from, there's something for everyone. I love switching between brands. And now you guys, our listeners, can enjoy both brands at a discount with us. So go to HelloFresh.com slash SWKfree and use the code SWKfree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash SWKFree. Use your code SWKFree. Thanks again to HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. He's like, I gotta find Anne. I gotta find Anne. I gotta find my woman. And around 9.30 in the morning... Renwick calls up his sister, Deborah, and was like, hey, Deborah, can you come with me to find Anne? I think I'm going to roll by her parents' house. And his sister was like, uh, no, not doing that. He was like, all right, all right, all right. Goes out still looking for his wife. And so then he calls his sister again around 1130. He's like, listen, I just need somebody to come up there with me. I just need, you know, a little support because I'm trying to make sure I do the right thing. You know, sis, I'm trying to make sure that I'm the man. And she's like, okay, okay, I'll ride with you. He just told her he needed his sister's support because he know he did wrong. He needs somebody to stand on his side when he go and try to talk to her. And then she'd be at her parents' house. Her her mama going to be there. Her brother and sister going to be there. He, he got to make sure that he has some backup. And so his sister says, okay, fine, we can go. And she gets in the car with her brother and they ride over to Ann's family's house. And she gets out, and she walks up to the door. She knocks on the door. No one answers. She walks back down. She's like, Renwick, ain't nobody there. Like, nobody must be home. And he's like, no, like, 
they got to be here. I know they scheduled. They got to be here. Maybe peek through the window or something, see if somebody's home. And she's like, I ain't peeking through nobody's window. I knocked on the door like a civilized human being. No one answered. They are not home or they don't want to talk. So Rimwick is like, I'll go up there. I'll walk up to the door. He's like, I'm going to go in there. I'm really going to try to talk to him. But then I'm going to come out and get you because I just need you to like maybe woman to woman talk to Anne so that she know that this is me. Like, this is me and I love her. She's like, okay, bro, whatever. So he slides his way out of the car. He goes up to the side of the house. Don't know what he did when he rounded the corner so his sister couldn't see. But then he starts running back. He's screaming, screaming, screaming. She goes and she sees for herself. And there's a bloody mess. Anne's mom, sister, brother, dead with gunshot wounds to the head. And when you got a close range gunshot wound, I mean, your brain matter spatters. There's membrane everywhere. There's blood everywhere. She's walking through. She's spotting the body. She's screaming at first. Shamika, the sister that's 16, at first she thought that that body was Anne's body. I mean, they're sisters. And it wasn't for a little while that she realized that it's not Anne. It's her sister. And so she runs down the street. She goes to a local store and she calls 911. Rimwick, he says, all right, time to turn up the ante. And he starts a so, baby, he's screaming and crying and yelling and crying. And how could they have done this? And what has happened? Where is my wife? Where is my wife? And the police finally pull up. And they find Rimwick. And he's rolling around on the grass. He's trembling. He's just like, oh, my God. I don't know what happened. This happened out of nowhere. I promise I have nothing to do with this, but I just can't believe that this would happen. How could this possibly happen? The sexes are like, sir, sir, calm down. I know this is very traumatic. Please calm down. We need to assess the scene. And when they do, they realize that there's a broken pane on the door, but inside of the house, there wasn't much out of place. This wasn't a robbery gone wrong. There wasn't any type of struggle. There wasn't any type of like commotion or hoopla or anything like that. And... The detectives immediately looked at Rimwick because why are you rolling on the ground? I get no one knows how they're going to act in certain situations, but he was acting too much. And even from that very moment, the detectives were like him. He's our number one suspect. Something in the milk ain't clean over there. Police, of course, go in and they find the bodies of Luis and her children. All three of them tied and gagged, shot execution style. And then they found the note, the I told you about slapping my mother arts and crafts note. While police are investigating, William Sr., he comes home and imagine coming home and your house is a crime scene. Like, what is happening? And I know that my family's in there. What is going on? He starts asking questions. Where are my, where's my wife? Where are my kids? What's going on? Tell me the status. Are they okay? What do you mean that they're dead? How did they die? And Rimwick is there. And he turns to the police officer. He said, him. I know he had something to do with it. Because why is he even here? I know he had something to do with all of this. And police, they knew that daddy wasn't lying because they already had a hunch in their head. And they're like, okay, well, let's, let's look into Rimwick. Let's interrogate him. Let's talk to him. Let's see who he has connected to him. They sit down with Rimwick and they're talking to him. And they start to realize that my man's ain't got his story straight. He couldn't 
figure out left from right, up from down. He couldn't remember what he said. When they tell him, you know how they ask you questions. They'll tell you to repeat it backwards. They'll tell you to say it sideways. He could not get it because he couldn't figure it out. And by the time that that interview was over, he said, I've been at home this whole time. You don't have anything on me. You can even ask my girl Yvette. And Yvette will be able to tell you that I was at home with her. So the police pull up at the yarn factory. And Yvette, ma'am, please step out. We need to question you. And her story is starting to constantly change. But they said, we're just here to verify Rumik's alibi. He says that he was with you all. And she's like, yes, he was with me. We were at the bus around like 12.30 in the morning. So he was with me the entire time. And they were like, is there anything you can tell me about that day? And she's like, oh, well, not too much. She starts telling a little bit of a story and they can tell that there's a lot of lies, but they can also tell that there's some sprinkled in truth because they connect to room with story. Now, they do let Yvette go because technically they don't have anything to arrest her on. And she goes back and she talks to her sister that night. The next day, the twins voluntarily come into the station around 8, 9 p.m. When Yvette's questioned this next time, she's got a bit of a different story. This time she says she was with Renwick the evening of May 29th, but soon after they went to bed. And then Renwick woke her up and was like, hey, we got to go somewhere. But before he left, he explained that he was very upset with Anne and her family because they always try to keep them apart. She says he made her get up, grab bullets for his gun, and then they left shortly after, and they didn't come back to the bus until about 6.37 a.m. Then they left again, and they come back for a little bit, and then they left again. Now, the police are like, we need more, we need more, you're not telling us enough, they're going at her. But eventually they put investigator Taylor in there, and she starts opening up. Now, it had been a few hours since they started talking to her, but... Taylor knows how to get the job done. So now is when she gives her most plausible statement. She tells the investigator that she did, in fact, go with Renwick to the Ferris household. She says about three weeks before the murder, Renwick had them all make a note using magazine letter cutouts. And the note read, I told you about slapping my mother. She mentions that this all takes place about three weeks before the murder even happened. He says he had them all there, you know, cutting out magazine letters, creating this note. And then the day before, he attempted to kidnap and kill the dog. He tried to shoot the dog, strangle the dog, run over the dog, but eventually the dog got away. She says then on that evening, he tells her that he's going to kill Anne and her family. And he specifically makes a mention that it pisses him off that Anne keeps bringing up, go back to your new wife, referring to Yvette. And he ain't like that. And he ain't like that she ain't want to be with him neither. That hurt his feelings. So Yvette tells the investigators that at 4 a.m. that morning, Renwick wakes her up, they get dressed, they head out. And when Renwick asked her if she was ready, she hesitated. You know, then he asked her again, and she was like, yeah, I'm ready. Basically to say, I didn't really want to do it. She goes on to tell the investigators that he told her she didn't have to go and that he said that he knew she was scared and didn't want to go. But she had told him she was ready. So at this point, the only concern she really had was her asthma. So she went and grabbed her inhaler. Now, she then tells the police that Renwick is the one who killed all three victims. But in this testimony that she's giving, or in this statement that she's giving in the interview, she doesn't mention any threats. She doesn't mention any coercions. Just, you know, 
yeah, I was there and he killed him. Now, FBI agent Eric Telefison got consent to search the school bus that Renwick lived in with the twins, and there they found a twenty-two caliber rifle. Now, shortly after this interview was held, the twins, of course, are arrested, and at this time, they're convinced that all three of these people are involved in the murder. They did not have any reason to think Deborah was involved. They did not hold her. She did not get wrapped up in her brother's mess. The detectives had heard enough, and yeah, air about a year under arrest. Rimwick, Doris, and Yvette were charged with three counts of first-degree murder. The twins also had charges of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, first-degree burglary, and conspiracy to commit first-degree burglary. Now, Rimwick, he ain't no diva. But he starts singing like a canary. He points to where they hid another rifle that was used in the murders, and he was ready to... Throw everybody under the bus. Now, Doris, she was like, I don't think going to trial is what I need. I actually didn't have the gun to kill nobody. You know, I was just back at the house. And so she decides that she's going to go ahead and accept a plea deal. They're in a state that has the death penalty. So Doris is like, you know what? I'm going to accept this plea deal. I'm going to plead guilty to conspiracy to commit. I'm going to plead guilty to being an accessory to murder. And I'm going to see what the judge just gives me, okay? In exchange for this plea, she had to testify against Renwick at his trial. Renwick and Yvette, they're trying to see what they're going to do, but obviously they are being held without bond. The children, Yvette's children, they were in custody of the social workers because I know y'all didn't think that they dad was going to take the kids in. And their trial began in August of 1991. Now, this trial lasted five weeks, a nice lengthy trial. And Yvette's defense was that she was brainwashed by Renwick. She couldn't possibly be responsible for her roles in the murder because here we have evidence of Renwick's abusive and manipulative narcissistic behavior. And Yvette was just a victim of it. A psychiatrist, Dr. Bob Rollins, testifies on Yvette's behalf and says that she suffers from atypical disassociative disorder. And that was brought on by Renwick's mistreatment, like his domination, his abuse. And I... They say that it was by Renwick, but knowing them, I dare say it was brought on by their father, and Renwick was just perfect person to pick up what their father had already instilled in them. But this is also commonly known as brainwashing. They testified that Yvette was moving in the way of a typical battered spouse. They weren't married, but it was definitely giving battered spouse syndrome. She did what he said at will without question. She knew that if she tried to stand up against him, that it wouldn't prevail, so she constantly went with his flow, even though he was abusive, mean, disrespectful to her, her sister, and probably to the children, too. They said that Yvette was basically a slave to Rimwick, and that is the way that he liked it. They were really trying to lay it on thick that Yvette was a victim. They also talked about the history of mental health in the family, talking about their mom had was... Um, schizophrenic that how a lot of times that is hereditary and Yvette was basically having those same type of problems that her mom was now Yvette did testify at her own trial and she had her own story of events she said that around the night of the murders around 12 30 
a.m. Renwick comes to the bus. He's pissed. He says that he goes and he tries to talk to Anne. He's trying to get Anne to understand. And Anne got the nerve to say, no, no, why don't you go over there and be with your new wife? So he then comes <laughs> back to the trailer, to excuse me, to the bus. And he's like, you know what? I'm sick of Anne. I'm sick of her shit. I'm sick of her telling me the truth. I'm sick of her saying that she's not going to stand by me when I continue to cheat on her. I'm going to show her. I'm going to show her. We're going to pull up in her family house and I'm killing everybody I see. Now, according to Yvette, he tells her, all right, make sure that you and Doris wake up and make sure y'all don't oversleep because we got things to do. And if y'all, and if I come here and y'all not up by 4 a.m., I'm beating both of y'all asses. How about that? So, of course, Yvette and Doris, they're like, okay, we got to be up because he said you got to be up, so we're going to get up. All right, Yvette, get up, get dressed. Doris, make sure that these babies are taken care of. And Yvette was kind of moving too slow for him, and he said, Yvette, get your ass up. And he has, like, the shotgun, and he starts beating her with the barrel of the gun. Get your ass up. It's time to fucking go. And when he does this, he tells Yvette, he's like, and don't you forget, this was what's about to happen here and what just happened right now. This will continue to happen if you ever think that you're going to leave me. And so Yvette says, okay, we get into the car. He cuts the phone lines when we get to the house. And I have one gun and he has another one. He's like, all right, don't go in here doing nothing crazy, okay? Make sure that everything is taken care of. We want a clean kill. And if she's on the stand, like, I thought that he was going to kill me. Like, if I didn't go through with it, thought that he was going to kill me. Like, when we get paid, we don't keep our money. Our money goes straight to him. And he takes care of everything. If he's not happy with us, he won't feed us. He's got control of everything that we have. If he says that we're not being good, like, at that point... The morning of the murders, I hadn't eaten in two days. The only food that we had was for the kids, and that's it. But me, I hadn't eaten anything. I knew that if I did something wrong, I wouldn't eat. And they were like, so you knew that he wanted Anne. Why did you stay with him? For real. And she's like, I knew that he loved her. I knew that he was sad that that Anne was leaving. It hurt him, and it hurt me to see him hurt. And I was okay with it. I told him I was okay with it. I didn't mind if him and Anne lived in the house together. I just wanted to make sure that him and I were okay. Yvette's lawyers are still talking. They're like, you know, this whole thing is still traumatizing her. She can't sleep. She has nightmares every night. She deeply regrets her actions. If she could take it all back, she would. And people in the court, they said, you know, like she was really, she was the only person that really seemed like she had any remorse for anything that went down. Now, the prosecution, they present the case as if Yvette was Renwick's sidekick the whole time. Like... Y'all planned these together. Y'all both had something to gain from these murders. So you might be trying to pull it all on him and act like you're a victim, but you wanted this just as badly as he did. Of course, they've got it kind of clear. Of course, Renwick pulled the trigger, but she knew the murder plans. They used her car to get to and from the home. She is the one who held everybody at gunpoint with one of Renwick's rifles. The district attorney, Michelle Norton, basically said, quote, it's as if she pulled the trigger herself. She was with him every step of the way. The prosecution said that also that hotel she's telling you about how he beat her and put, still whipped her 
in order to get her to comply when she was brought in. Nobody documented any bruises. Nobody documented any cuts or injuries or any sort of trauma on her. So it's not flying over here. They didn't see it when they did the jail intake and they had to take all your pictures and stuff. They, they didn't see none of that. So she was like, honestly, I'm just going to call bullshit. All the agents involved in the case testified in Yvette and Renwick's trials. By the time it came down for the jury to deliberate, it only took them an hour and a half. Now, this was a death penalty case, so they did have a second phase of the trial, which was for the jury to determine if she was going to be sentenced to death or not. So, here at the Beaufort County Superior Court, they reached that phase, and Yvette offers the testimony of three women who knew her through her jail ministry. All three of these women testified on behalf of Yvette's religious sincerity. Her mother even testified for her during this part of the trial, saying that she was always helping the family. And when she, Ella, had had her schizophrenic episodes and had to be hospitalized, it was the twins who held it down for her. The dad testified. I think this about the only thing he ever did for them kids. The dad testified, saying that she was a good daughter and she had never been any trouble to the family. But he also had been suspecting that since Renwick started seeing his daughter in 1989 that he's been abusing her that whole time. He didn't do nothing about it, but that's what he suspected. One of her brothers testified that he does remember her helping out the family when she lived at home, but it was mentioned that both sisters cut off contact with the family completely once they moved out. Now, this part of the deliberations took the jury a bit longer, and they sat for 10 hours trying to decide... Life, death, life, death. And ultimately, they all unanimously agreed on the death penalty. Now, after she was sentenced, Yvette said, quote, I'd like to say I'm real sorry this has happened to the Ferris family. I know I'm very, very sorry. Like Tazzy said, they were both sentenced to the death penalty. I'm not sure what Renwick's execution date was, but Yvette's execution date was set for October 25th, 1991. Since it was a death penalty case, that did mean that she was automatically sent for an appeal. And when Judge Gregory Wheat scheduled her execution, all he told her was, may God have mercy on your soul. On her other charges, she got an additional 15 years for burglary and a total of 12 years for the conspiracy charges on top of her death sentence. Now, Doris, remember, she took the plea and she still had to be sentenced. She was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So she escaped the death sentence. Now, in Yvette's appeal, she had a couple of things that she argued. She said that her constitutional right was being violated because the trial judge, quote, it engaged in ex parte communication with prospective jurors during jury selection. And the communication per the court transcript was given to the jurors during a 25-minute break. Court looked. They found no error. He also said that the trial court erred by failing to give a requested jury instruction. She requested the following jury instruction to be given at trial. 
she requested the following jury instruction to be given. Quote, when a defendant is charged on a theory of acting in concert for crimes requiring a specific intent must be shown as to each defendant. So what she's saying is these instructions that were given did not require jurors to reach the question of whether the defendant herself intended to commit the murder when she entered the Ferris home or ever formed the specific intent to kill necessary to commit premeditated and deliberate murder. And that instruction was never given, but the trial court found no error and failure to give the requested instruction. She also said that the trial court erred by denying her motion to have her expert mental health witness view a portion of the defendant's testimony. The expert witness used the word duress various times when he was talking about the relationship between Yvette and Rimwick. But here's the thing, like, there's a lot of times that she was in quote-unquote duress, and it wasn't very specific. Are you talking about when she was in duress as a child? Are you talking about when she was in duress when she first met him? Are you talking about when she was in duress because he was beating her? Are you talking about the duress that she was in that led up to the murders? Like, you have to be more specific so that the jury can get a full look. Was it her mental health or was it his abuse? And she felt like the lines were blurred, so the jury could not really have a full scope of what was really happening at the time. They looked that over. Trial court disagreed. She said that they failed in trying to charge her with, like, the misdemeanor breaking and entering. That's a lesser offense than first-degree burglary. They said, listen, I don't have any felonies before this. I've never really been in trouble with the law. Renwick was the one that broke into the house. I just followed behind him. So it really should just be breaking and entering. And they were like, no, girl, we're keeping you at first degree burglary. Now, the trial court did find one error in one of her appeals. And that error was during the sentencing phase. And so they decided that they were not going to give her a brand new trial, but she would get a new sentencing. And... One of the other things was they were using the same evidence for both Yvette and Renwick. And she was like, the evidence, you're duplicating the evidence, but the evidence is not the same because our stories are different. Our intentions are different. I was being abused by Renwick. The evidence that you have, his was premeditated. Mine was an unwilling, another victim that was forced to go along for the ride. They did give her the new sentencing hearing, citing reversible error in her first sentencing. They said that she was not in her mental capacity during the time of the murders. Renwick was also appealed, and his appeal was granted. The court found that he was mentally disabled when committing the crimes, and he was given life without parole. So everybody now has life without the possibility of parole. So Yvette is currently being held at the Southern Correctional Institution near Troy, North Carolina. Renwick is being held at the Hyde Correctional Institute in Fairfield, North Carolina. Since his conviction, he has been cited for 21 violations of prison rules, including assault, attempted possession of drugs, and verbal threats. You know, some people just can't, they can't act right. He ain't got no act right. It is what it is. Um, There's nothing that supports that he and Anne are still in communion. There's nothing that supports that he and I Anne are still in communication. communication. There's nothing that You kill my whole family? Girl, don't want a goddamn thing to do with him. And are then Anne's me? dad died in no, 2004. Baby. What can you do for me? No. Um, Doris was released from prison on April 12th of 2012. She lives a quiet life. Nobody knows where she is now. I don't even know if she has the same name, you know? She don't want to be bothered, but she she's finally living a life of her own. I'll tell you that much. 
But yeah, your girl got paroled. And that is the story of Yvette Gay and her twin sister. All right, y'all, it's time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I ain't do it, but if I did, I would not be killing somebody who can't get over their act. Girl, I ain't do it, but if I did, I ain't killing for nobody who thinks providing is putting me in a school bus with no electricity and three other people. He, he made an outhouse. He said, you got to work with me, baby. If you work with me, I'm going to get you. If I had to go outside every time I had to take a piss... You know, you and you got an outhouse. Like Where do you bathe? Showers that is basically a bag of water and it has a solar panel on it, and then it, mm-hmm. the sun heats up the water, and then that's how you can get warm water. And then it has a little hose so that you can shower. You just can't have no shame because you got to shower outside or something. I ain't do it, but if I did, I'm not into it. You shouldn't have um, a jealous baby. Like you shouldn't have a baby with somebody because you're jealous of them having a baby with somebody else. Like, that doesn't make them want to be with you more if they're still stuck on that other person. Like, ooh, she having a kid? I'ma have one, too. You're not one-upping. Mm-hmm. Now you copycat. You're not even that girl anymore. If it takes killing for you to be with him, he ain't the one for you. <laughs> like, if that's what it takes... If he can't... Maybe try another. It's, I mean, technically, like... According to, like, Triple X videos, like, this is supposed to be the ultimate what a man wants. He got a set of twins that love him, that's taking care of him, that he can control. He should be happy. Right. And if he's not happy with that, come on. But he's still hung up on Anne. What more and do Anne you has want? made it very clear that Anne don't want him. Anne not going to stick around. My daddy fought in a war. You think I'm going to stick around? With somebody that's a bum that don't want me for real? No. He was like, well, damn, baby, you doing it for this long? Just why stop now? I ain't do it, but if I did, that note was stupid. Like, yeah, I killed your whole family. Think twice before slapping yeah, my mama. I don't know where that was like, supposed the to fuck? go. I would have left the dog out of it. Dog did nothing to you. Okay, um, we've got a special I didn't do it, but if I did. You know we tell yeah. you guys this all the time that you can send us voice notes, that you can let us know your own. I didn't do it, but if I did, most people do it in the discussion group, but we have a very special one from the Brittany and Taniqua episode. Let's take it away, because you know she can only do it once every other year. That was so funny. Thanks, Krista. We love you. See you at the live show. Hope you guys have your own. I didn't do it, but if I did, it's when you get there. Um, let's move on. Do you want to read some reviews, or you want to talk about the live show? Let's read some reviews first. We We're haven't done it. one or the other. You can leave us a review anywhere, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, um, Apple, five stars, tell a friend, do something nice, share, love us. Curtis was supposed to love me. <laughs> Curtis was supposed to love me. Okay. This is from Sylvia Naw. Five stars while I watch stars. I drive a truck at night, and listening to you all's <laughs> podcast gets me through the miles. I'm a true crime junkie, and this podcast is great. Love the singing and responses that you tie into the crimes. If the table you all set at was a color, it would be hot pink. Really? Because women who kill can't wear pink heels in prison. Okay. Keep up the great podcast, and 
I will miss you in Atlanta. I'm in the New Jersey area. <laughs> Thanks so much. I wish you could come to Atlanta. Yeah, refund check about to hit. Just come on down. Thank you. Thank you. I know. They making road that trips. That refund check money is your money. Use it how Let's you want. Right. This one says favorite slash only podcast I listen to. Recently, I heard of you guys on TikTok, and I love the way Mariah narrates. So I was intrigued. I work third shift, so I'm always looking for something new to watch and listen to while I'm working. I love a good story. And this helps the time fly by. You're welcome. Always looking Thank forward you. to the next episode. Um, great. Thank you. If you Thank you. like us, then you should know where to follow us. Like, Sisters Who Kill, Sisters Who Kill Podcast, Sisters Who Kill Pod, like, anywhere. Type it in. S-I-S-T-A-S. Damn. There are plenty of ways that you could check us out. Um, we are... We got a show coming out. Not a sh- it's it's not our show, but we'll be on TV again. If you ain't catch us last week, tell them about it, Tazzy. Yeah. If you didn't catch us last week, uh, the first part of this show, or the first episode that we did aired last Wednesday. Tubi has this series called "I Love You to Death," and they asked us to help him out tell a couple stories so we did one story last week there's going to be another story that airs this week on wednesday and another story that airs next week on wednesday right. it's on to me it's free that's don't free. freak out but if it's you free. want to see us get into some real good storytelling let me tell you about something that's not free <laughs> us in person live in Atlanta, Georgia, March 23rd, the Variety Playhouse. Taz and I will be in the place. Hopefully, we'll look cute. I have no idea what I'm wearing. Everybody's like, what are y'all wearing to the live show? And I'm like, I don't know what y'all wearing. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to tell you a story. We're hopefully going to have a good time. Um, don't expect, you know, I've been to a couple of podcast live shows. Don't expect bitches to start twerking on the stage. We ain't them type of girls, Okay. I'm here to tell you a story, not embarrass myself, okay? I hope that they don't think that that's a standard. My mom was like, are you going to go out there, like, with high energy and, you know, like, really engaged? I said, if you're asking, if I'm going to be out there like, yo, 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 everybody having a good time tonight? No, that's not who I am. (laughs) It's going to be great. I'm going to be like, hi, everybody. Tess is going to be like, hello. Glad you're here. It's going to be fun. The music is going to be great. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Hopefully you all will be there. If you're not, you're just a loser. Let me tell y'all, everybody is counting on you. If y'all don't show up for this live show, everybody is going to shun Atlanta. Atlanta is going to be flooded with the Tyra Banks meme that says we were all rooting for you. Because everybody else wants us to come. It's it's all in y'all's fate. Y'all hold the fate of the future. Very true. Very true. Um, we do have a few tickets left, so you are able to come and see us. It'll be amazing. Uh, VIP is sold out. That's sold out quick, child. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're excited to see you. And uh, March 23rd, Variety Playhouse. March 23rd, Variety Playhouse. SistersWhoKillLive.com. SistersWhoKillLive.com. Now, when everybody had their Sisters Who Kill merch before you, you know where they got it, Okay. SistersWhoKillLive.com You know nobody ever recognizes Everybody that has merch Because there are people in the world that are blessed enough To have Sisters Who Kill merch right Mm now And they'd be like Somebody stopped me and was like Oh my gosh I never get stopped in my Where did you get that? How did you buy? And no one ever comes up to me when I wear my Sisters Who Kill merch (laughs) That's why I feel safe wearing it now "Ah." No like one time I had to take the Greyhound 
and I wore my Sisters Who Kill, and somebody was like, damn, Sisters Who Kill? I'm like, yes. And I will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm going through the airport, I'm like, is this going to get me stopped? Sisters Who Kill is definitely my airport clothes every time. Very much. Like, is this it? It's is my this ma- I know my mama going on a trip, too, when she start putting on Sisters Who Kill. If, Listen, whether it's a road I feel trip like or it's whatever. a nice little protection. Mm-hmm. You know, like, is that a biker club? Right. You don't know what we are. <laughs> Just know, don't fuck with me. <laughs> all right, that's all we have to say. See you on March 23rd. Anything else, friend? Talk this, we talk back. <laughs>